Showtime! We are back, season four, episode one of the Benefits Buzz podcast. And we're excited to be back with a great episode talking about the blue wave. That's right. The U.S. presidency and both houses of Congress have taken a new blue look since the 2018 midterms, with the Dems first taking the House of Representatives back in 18, and then, of course, winning the presidency and control of the Senate, albeit narrowly, in 2020. <laughs> what does that mean for healthcare and employee benefits? We want to know, and you want to know. We have a fantastic guest. His name is Chris Bird. He's the executive vice president of operations at Wex Health. We'll break all of it down. My name is Eric Pila. I'm the host of the Benefits Buzz podcast, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kelsey Burgad. We can't wait for this great episode. This was filmed, by the way, the week of February 22nd, so all comments, insights, and predictions were based on legislation at this time. All right, let's jump in. It's time to get buzzed. Hey, everyone. Welcome to season four of the Benefits Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Eric Pella. I'm joined with Kelsey Burgad. Kelsey, we're on video. What's happening? I don't know what we got ourselves into. <laughs> I'm both excited and a little bit nervous to be on video every day, but welcome to our homes. We're still working from home. We are. We are. What happens when you have a face for radio and a voice for print? They decide to make the podcast uh, a video. I don't know what they were thinking <laughs> of producers, but, but, but here we are. Uh, this will be fun. Yeah. So those of you who are used to listening, we have a new video portion. Uh, obviously, uh, you can probably tell of us talking about it, but feel free to watch if you uh, want to try that way instead. I, I feel like it's one of those things, you know, when you like you listen to somebody on the radio and you imagine what their voice might be and then you actually see them, you're like, oh, that's what they look like. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people kind of doing that, that head scratcher right now. Is that but a good thing or a bad thing? I, I, don't, know. I, don't, I don't know, Kelsey. <laughs> But anyway, we will forge on. We were season four. We can't wait. And how appropriate. Uh, we wrapped up season three. Uh, we had the executive vice president of operations at Wax Health here, Chris Bird, on the show. And the election had just taken place. Uh, Biden had been kind of just announced the winner. There was lots of lawsuits going on. And, and Chris did his best job at saying, okay, Here's what I think is going to happen, but there's a lot of shoes that need to drop yet before we know what's going to happen. Primarily, a lot of the the Congress uh, work that needed to take place in in, in Georgia and the election, and and what a phenomenal way! So we were left hanging in the balance, and so season four we kick off with this. Uh, I'm going to use air quotes here. You can see me blue wave, right? We had a lot of changes uh, <laughs> since since we left off, and and we've got some some results. The results are in, folks. And we've got our executive vice president, Chris Bird, back to talk about what does this mean, this, this blue wave, or maybe it's more of a ripple. Um, Chris, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks. Has it been that long? Has it, has it been like three and a half months? Doesn't it yeah. feel like we're together all the time? You know, Recording they, podcasts? They, they, tell, <laughs> they tell you that like when you're a kid, like time goes really slow. And as you get older, time goes faster and faster. I'm getting really old. <laughs> I was looking and I was like, holy moly, it was like November. And now it's February, right? We're halfway to Memorial Day for crying out loud. <laughs> I love it. I don't know where time goes either. I know, which is surprising when I've been locked in, in my house for all this, all, all these months. But well, we're happy to have you back. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic episode. And I want to dive into this, uh, Chris, because 
right? We we have had some changes, right? So we're we're you know where we call this the blue wave, sort of with the with the question mark. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened, and again, everyone knows we we kind of made light of this that sort of your your night job is really to be the pulse of what's happening in legislation and on DC and on the Hill. And we wanted to kick off season four with you commenting on what has happened. Where are we at? What does this mean for healthcare? So I want to, I want to hit you with the first kind of open ended question, which is right. The Dems win, you know, the presidency and the Senate. Um, but we, we, there were some, some, you know, loss of seats in the house. So we kind of had some things rearrange a little bit, but but essentially, what did what did the 2020 election mean for Americans and, and how they feel about issues and specifically around healthcare? You know, it was it was a closer election than I think anybody expected it to be. The, the presidency wasn't terribly close. It, it, I don't think it was quite a landslide, but it wasn't terribly close. But but you, you mentioned the House and, and you mentioned the 50-50 split in the Senate, right? It, it was it was a pretty tight election. Uh, I think the election first and foremost was probably more about Donald Trump than anything else. But but Donald Trump's coattails or or lack thereof weren't very long in this election, right? So you see you saw a lot of people who obviously voted for Biden, but then voted for the Republican when they went down ticket, which is is a little bit unusual. And so and so what we really have is for lack of a better term, it's it's really kind of a mixed message. I, I think what it says is that Americans really aren't ready for profound change, but they were ready for some change, particularly change in, in the mood, in the, in the national uh, sort of psyche, in, in the messages coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That, I think that's pretty, pretty clear. But in terms of sweeping policy changes, I think the message was one of, we're a bit more of a centrist country, right? We, we spent a lot of time talking about people on the left and the right, and on the perhaps the, the the fringes of both of those, but I think the vast majority of the people were were kind of looking for some return to normalcy. What does that mean with respect to healthcare? Uh, there, there still are issues I think that people are dealing with that they would like to see the government deal with. You know, access to healthcare, the the number of uninsured is higher than anybody would like it to be. Healthcare costs continue to go up. But there doesn't seem to be a mandate to have the government come and take the whole thing over and do something about it. So we, we know a majority is a majority. And I hear you saying basically it's not black and white. People haven't made a decision necessarily one way or the other. But with those slight majorities in both the House and the Senate, what does that mean for future legislation? Because they're, they're very minimal majorities. Yeah, well, Eric, you mentioned it. It, it, it was I, it wasn't a blue wave, but by any sense of the word, and we were it's kind of in between two of the different scenarios that we were tracking, right? It's it's not a blue wave because you've got you've got fifty fifty in the Senate, you've got Pelosi only able to lose five or six seats in a very big House in order to get things done, right? So uh, th- there wasn't like I said this sweeping mandate. On the other hand, uh, it, it wasn't just sort of the change at the top either, because change at the top was this scenario that was based on the hypothesis that the people really just wanted a change in, in the occupant of the White House. And they would they would keep the Senate in Republican hands. Well, of course, that didn't happen. And uh, one, one of the probably the biggest surprises uh, to me between uh, November when we last spoke and, and today was what happened in Georgia. 
not that I discounted it entirely, but I, I didn't necessarily expect that the Democrats would win both of those races. And so I thought 51 to 49 was a, probably a, a reasonable outcome to put your money on, you know, but, but here we are. Uh, so what does that mean? That means it's going to be hard to get things done. And it's going to be hard to get things done that involve a lot of change because you're going to have to deal with the other side. All you have to do is, is flip a handful of moderate Democrats in the House. All you have to do is, uh, you know, you're going you're to become very, very familiar with two names in the Senate, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, the two most centrist Democratic senators who are both from states that aren't completely blue. In fact, West Virginia is pretty red. Right. And so you just lose one of those and it, and it doesn't matter. Uh, you, you're it's all over with one exception. And, and, and it's this. Uh, you've probably read or heard a lot about the reconciliation process lately. And this is a process. It's called budget reconciliation, where you can get legislation through with a simple majority. And so if the, if the House passes a reconciliation bill and the Senate passes that bill deadlocked 50-50 on a straight party line vote, then the vice president can break that tie and that bill becomes law. There are three reconciliation vehicles available to the Democrats in the current session of Congress, two this year and one next year. And the first one is probably going to be used. It looks like they're using the reconciliation process to pass the, the current COVID relief bill, the $1.9 trillion bill that everybody's talking about now that, that's supposed to be passed in March. Um, but there will certainly be a second reconciliation vehicle later this year. And that vehicle will include lots of different things, including probably some tax reform and probably some more health care. Right. So in one or both of those vehicles, you, you are likely to see uh, some movement on health care. Right. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see what that looks like. And we can talk about that a little bit more as we go through the podcast. Uh, but it, I have had conversations. I've had conversations with Democratic staffers just in the last two or three weeks where they said, you know what? Uh, we don't think we can negotiate with the other side and we don't think they want to negotiate with us. So we're just going to go ahead and, and we're just going to pass this thing on a party line vote. You know, so all this talk of bipartisanship, I think it's going to be hard. I, I, the other thing that I would say, and this is really important to, to understand right now, there's still a lot of hard feelings in D.C., a lot of hard feelings. Uh, you know, January 6th shook everybody up. It shook a lot of Democrats up. And they have hard feelings about every single one of those Republican lawmakers who voted against certifying the election on that date. And they're basically saying, I'm not going to work with these people for a while. How long that lasts is going to have a lot to say about how much gets done over the next two years. It's just I learned so much every time we chat with you. Um, but you talked a little bit about tax reform, and that leaves me wondering um, what's going to happen with the HSA? with the health savings account, is that going to be um, looked at from a tax reform or are the tax treatments going to change or maybe um, increased eligibility? Um, anything like that that you see coming in the future? Well, first of all, I don't see HSAs. I don't see any real threat to HSAs. I don't see them being under attack. And the reason for that, quite frankly, is too many Democratic constituents have them and like them. And uh, all but the most progressives on Capitol Hill, they get this. They, they understand this. One of the things that I've, I've, I've had the experience of doing is going into a lot of Democrat offices over the last two years. And, th and that mood has very, very much shifted, right? Once you have tens of millions of people 
uh, they know, they hear from their constituents, people like HSAs, right? So I don't think that HSAs are going to be under any attack. On the other hand, meaningful expansion, you know, higher higher contribution limits and those kinds of things, those are really off the table for now. We, we did talk uh, last year about decoupling, and that's an idea that's still around. I think it's much harder to get that done in a Democrat-controlled Washington than it is in a, in a Republican-controlled Washington. But you'll continue to see, uh, you know, some effort to to chip away at that over time and, and perhaps set that up for consideration down the road. Uh, there may be some room for some incremental improvements, for example, allowing somebody who's still working after the age of 65 who really has to in, in, enroll in Medicare, allowing them to continue to contribute to their HSA. They can't do that today. Uh, people, veterans who, who get their health care from the VA, uh, people on TRICARE uh, and, and uh, Native Americans who receive health care from the Indian Health, Indian Health Service can't today invest in an HSA or fund an HSA. And so uh, these are all ideas that I think make a fair amount of sense to people on both sides of the aisle. It's hard, hard to say why, why shouldn't a Native American have uh, an HSA, you know, just because they happen to get their, their health care from the Indian Health Service. Uh, and so I think those kinds of things have a reasonable chance of advancing uh, in the current Congress. And, and that's really where the industry, I think, is going to start is by, by continuing to try to get some some meaningfully incremental improvement stages HSAs through. Yeah, awesome insights. I, I think it's really interesting. I think we're on a good momentum roll. So I kind of want to keep going in this direction because I think in addition to some of those things you talked about HSAs, like. I know Biden, you know, had had quite a few things when he was running for for president that he had, you know, he had talked about and platformed on when it came to healthcare. Um, you know, what are some of those things you think you'll also see in addition to? Because like for his first day of presidency, he had a, you know like a, a dozen executive orders. Some of them maybe kind of rescinding some of the stuff that that Trump did. What what do you see? What other changes do you see in the horizon? Yeah, I do think you'll see a fair amount of activity in the regulatory arena. Uh, because that's something that you can do without having to get it through that that pretty closely divided Congress. Uh, two things that I think will probably be rolled back will be Trump creations. The one is the short-term limited duration, the skinny plans. Uh, the, the, the Democrats hated those because if you look at the ACA, it's all about minimum essential benefits. It's, it's you know, don't don't allow people to buy insurance that doesn't comprehensively cover them. Uh, and the second is association health plan, but that, that was another Trump creation. And I think that those are probably going to be rolled back uh, if I had to bet my money. Uh, clearly, I mean, b- both both parties want to do something about drug pricing, uh, but they just don't know how to do it. And so that was that was a big part of the Biden uh, agenda last year. And the other one was was uh, surprise medical billing. There was already something done about surprise medical billing, so they may be able to declare victory and go home on that one. Uh, the rest of it's going to be hard. But drug pricing is something that's going to continue to be front and center, but it consumes a lot of oxygen because it's a hard, complex issue to tackle. And then the last one, this is kind of in, in the broad category. And it's a bit amorphous. I think that you will see a continued uh, focus from the Biden administration or an increased focus on, on what we call equity, right? Access, affordability of health care, particularly for marginalized communities uh, and, and, and uh, p- people of color, right? A focus on what they call the social determinants of health, where people who, who are members of certain communities tend to have worse health conditions, have happen to have worse health outcomes, 
uh, and it's believed that that's somewhat correlated to their access to, to quality healthcare, right? It's, it's really hard to visualize exactly how that translates into any particular law or regulation. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. But I think you'll, you'll continue to um, see and hear quite a bit about that. That's great. I love looking into the crystal ball, if you will, and just seeing what potentially could be coming. You just have such good insight. But, um, you know, I think we've made it quite a ways into this podcast and we haven't even mentioned the pandemic one time, which has to be a record in the last year. Um, but, you know, I just keep thinking about, you know, COVID-19 and I'm just curious, like, because our lawmakers are so focused on the here and now and so focused on the pandemic, do you think that's going to prohibit any sweeping changes or big changes coming? Or do you still see some of that on the horizon? I think on balance, I think actually COVID-19 slightly increases the probability that something that's more sweeping could happen because you can always, you can always wrap something in the mantle of, of pandemic relief, right? And, and as I mentioned with the ACA improvements, Maybe you start small by saying, hey, we're just going to do this for a contained period of time to help people out during the pandemic. But as everybody knows, if you've watched Washington or even <laughs> read the newspapers, if you will, uh, once something, once a program gets in place in, in Washington, it's awfully hard to roll it back. And so that's the kind of, uh, you know, that, that's the kind of approach uh, that may work here. One of the things, though, to keep in, in mind, and I don't mean to keep coming back to reconciliation, but there's going to be a reason why. And I'll tell you in a minute. You guys don't know this. Uh, reconciliation allows you to, to to get a bill through on a straight party line vote, but it doesn't allow you to put everything into that bill. In order to qualify for the budget reconciliation pro process, the bill has to affect the budget. It has to affect either federal outlays or federal revenues, right? And so there's a lot of things that, that likely can't get into a reconciliation bill. And there's a, uh, there's a, a person called the Senate parliamentarian who actually decides, takes every element of a bill and says, this one's in, this one qualifies, this one doesn't qualify. And the process by which all that happens is a result of some legislation that was introduced decades and decades ago by a senator by the name of Byrd. Yes. Spelled correctly, <laughs> but no, no, no relation to mine. And the process, the process of the parliamentarian deciding what's in, what's out is actually called the birdbath. So uh, the birdbath is going to limit what can be in. So a good example would be raising the minimum wage to $15 may not make it through the birdbath, right? But ACA improvements like subsidies would because they affect outlays. But back to the question, I think the I think there is a little bit more that you can do to advance things in a pandemic uh, and then work later to make them permanent. I love that. Awesome. The bird, yeah, the bird bath. I'm going to use that in regular conversation. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Kelsey, you request didn't make it through the bird bath. <laughs> so I mean, who knew, who knew there was something called a bird bath other than that thing in your grandma's backyard, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome insights. You said something that I'm going to push you on, Chris. You said it's really hard to roll some things back, you know, once they kind of get, and I, I'm going to, if there was one thing that you think um, Biden coming and looking at what, what some of the things that Trump did in his four years, if there was one thing maybe that the Trump administration did that you think might have a chance of seeing rolled back, because I mean, we're used to kind of going back and forth and kind of just seeing where the where the Senate legislation takes us, but if there's one thing you that we maybe have gotten used to that you think might get rolled back, what would it be? 
Ooh, that's a tough one. You know, aside from the two regulations that I talked about, I don't see anything really under attack in the healthcare arena as being rolled back, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on areas of reproductive rights, right? There may be some things there where if the Trump administration did anything, I don't follow that stuff that closely, then you could potentially see the Biden administration saying, look, we've, we've got to bring some of this, this, this stuff back. We've got to roll back some of the restrictions. Um, but aside from that, I, I don't see a whole heck of a lot. I think the Biden agenda is really going to be more toward moving forward in trying to strengthen the ACA and allow more people to take advantage of that. I think we've said this a few times in the past, but Chris, you're just gonna have to be a recurring guest. <laughs> I think you're just gonna have to come back like monthly. There's to talk a reason. About all this yeah, stuff. yeah, there's a reason you're you've been on the podcast more than any other guest we've had. So uh, yeah, we're still so, working on some sort of an award or race. You know, we will, yeah, yes, we will come up with the appropriate recognition that that makes sense for you. Maybe it's a bird bath you can put in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Well, Chris, I thought there was, was some kind of I thought there was some kind of jacket. I yes, was get. I that's know. right. I yeah, I mentioned the yellow jacket. jacket. <laughs> there was a yeah, a, a gold one or wax red. Yes, there you go, wax red. I love that. I suppose that's a little bit better than a bird bath, but we'll see. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk offline and come up with something that's that's worthy. Chris, thank you so much. This is always so beneficial. I love having you on the show. What a perfect way to kick off season four. You look fantastic. Thanks thanks for joining us on video too. Uh, this was this was a great discussion. Uh, we can't wait to see. Uh, obviously, hey. There's a reason we're going to see what happens in the next couple of months here. We've got a, we've got a season four that takes us through at least five or six months. So if we've got something that shakes up, uh, you know, uh, legislation a little bit, there's no, no doubt, uh, Chris, that we'll have you back in the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. Oh, always a pleasure, guys. Have a good one. You bet. Take care. Wax is in the business of simplifying benefits for everyone. Now, although we certainly hope our podcast sparks some aha moments, like that was pretty cool, but of course we cannot provide legal investment or financial advice. And well, therefore, nothing shared in this podcast should be interpreted as such. We encourage you to seek out appropriate professional advice regarding your plans. Hey, congratulations. You made it through our disclaimer. <laughs> Thanks for listening.